This is Off The Record and my name is Frankie Rass. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to Someday Lily, industrial pop artist Seeming's latest single. This is the last single to come out before the release of their third full-length album, The Birdwatcher's Guide to Atrocity, which will be coming out on Friday, August 21st. This album will follow their 2017 LP called Soul, a self-banishment ritual, which was very well received and got some very high praise, including being crowned LP of the year by Tastemaker's I Die, You Die, and album of the decade by alt culture site A Model of Control. Seeming's frontman Alex Reed and I chat about the upcoming album, the making of it, and what avant-garde composer Sarah Hennies brought to the table by co-producing it with him. Alex is an extremely interesting person to talk to. He has a PhD and teaches a variety of music-related courses in Ithaca, New York. He composes for film, commercials, and video games, and he's written two books. So the guy is smart and pretty accomplished. Anyway, I hope you enjoy our chat. How has COVID been for you? <laughs> uh, it's been um, it's been a little disorienting just because I'm a really social person and I mm-hmm. like to, you know, go out and meet people and travel and do a million things. But um, but it's good. I finished the album uh, that I'm going to be releasing in a few weeks. I finished that like in the very first days of lockdown. Okay. Um, so, uh, so I was able, you know, before everything shut completely down, I was able to like get to the studio and get that mixed down properly and things like that. So, um, so it's, it, it's been pretty okay. All things considered a lot of good time with my cats. Yeah. Yeah. How many cats do you have? I have four cats. You have four cats. Wow. Yes. I only, I have one, but he's big enough to be like, he counts as two cats. I think he eats yeah. enough for two cats anyway. <laughs> where, where are you located? I'm in Toronto. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I know you were supposed to do a show here a few days ago, actually. That's all right. But yeah, yeah. we'll catch you next time. Yep. <laughs> um, aside from that, I know you've also been, uh, you've been keeping busy regardless. Like you, like you said, you, uh, you managed to finish the album, but you, uh, performed for the Terminus Fest, uh, did a little quarantine, uh, set, um, which I watched and I, I was actually super impressed with the quality of the audio. I've been oh. watching a lot of these live streams and the audio is not always there. So yeah, that was, that was really great. Tell me, tell me about that festival that you were a part of. So this is the largest industrial music festival in North America. It's called Terminus. It happens every year, usually in Calgary, but this year it was online. Um, mm-hmm. My band Seeming had played at it back in 2015 after we released this, uh, uh, an EP called World Burners. And that went well, and uh, we got invited to uh, to do a um, a solo set uh, this year from home. Um, usually, I work with uh, one other member, my 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 drummer Aaron, but he's obviously um, unable to to be right here because we can't mm-hmm. get together. But I did that broadcast right here from home. Um, I care a lot about presentation of music. I care a lot about uh, making it sound good and making it look good. Um, one of the things that I learned after years of playing in uh, clubs and bars for audiences who might not be able to hear every word of every song is that all the details that I put into songwriting and all the details that I put into lyrics and into harmony and production, that doesn't count um, 
quite as much when you're doing something live. I mean, like, it's great if they hear that stuff, but when you're doing something live, you really, really have to just get their attention right off the yeah. bat. Um, and so I, um, uh, I've, I've gotten to be much riskier in my songwriting and in my lyrics and in my stage presentation and in the things that we do on stage. Like back when we played in, in Calgary a few years ago, you know, we, we closed the set with a song called World Burners Unite. And it's the song, you know, based on the idea of some people just want to watch the world burn. And earlier that day, I had gone out to an antique shop and I'd bought an antique metal gas can and I'd filled it up with water, you know, so I was dousing the whole stage with water and then, you know, I lit a match at the end, but nobody, knew, you know, obviously they assumed that I wasn't really going to torch the place, but, um, but, you know, give, give, give people a little, I don't mean to actually like scare them, but, you know, get, get their blood going. Um, and yeah. I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty invested in, in putting on a show. So, yeah. Right, right, cool. Well, yeah, I, I was also really impressed with the visuals that you had going on mm -hmm. behind you. Um, the second, uh, the second song you performed, uh, what were the visuals for that? It was just like photos of, like, I don't know. It just looked like photos of people, but. Uh, and then there was like some writing. I couldn't really tell what was what yeah. was going on. Yeah, I mean, I, um, the visuals come from a lot of different places. In most cases, I try to get um, either people that I know to uh, give me work that they have done, or I sometimes will um, license things, or I will sometimes look to the Creative Commons free license, like the Creative Commons Zero license that you can mm -hmm. search on Vimeo and things like that. But in some cases, we're working with um, old film clips that are in... Um, public domain. Uh, I put, a, I, I write almost all the text there myself. And so sometimes it's, you know, lyrics to the songs, but then sometimes I'll have all sorts of other strange things going on. Like, um, you know, there's a, there's a song on the new album called End Studies, which is really this kind of um, sort of um, queer accelerationist sort of leftist manifesto that's imagining what the future might be like, you know, once I get, once, once, once I'm no longer here and once people like me are no longer here and, you know, who gets to inherit the earth and, and what might that look like? And so for that, I end up using a lot of the text from a piece that came out a few years ago called the Xenofeminist Manifesto, uh, which is again, a creative commons piece. But, um, I really, I really want to get people kind of thinking and sort of confronting a barrage of visuals and audio and maybe sometimes to overwhelm them, but also sometimes to pull it back and let it be a little bit spare. So in one of the cases, we just have um, a video of snow falling, but mm -hmm. we put it backwards, and so it looks like the ground is just rising up or something right, like that. Right, right. Yeah. Cool. It's, uh, I always find it so interesting, all the thought that goes into, uh, into all of that, especially for, um, you know, like the big artists have people that make all of that for them, but uh, don't really have a lot of creative control with it. Um, yeah. So it's very cool when a lot of thought goes into it and there's meaning behind everything. I, I love that. Yeah. Um, what, uh, do you remember what you were doing when things started getting pretty bad, like when lockdown started happening? Um, yeah, so I had just come back from, um, I had just come back from actually a few days in Florida. I used to, I used to live in Florida. Um, and this was in, this was at the, the end of February that I had been in Florida and golly, am I glad that I went when I did since we <laughs> haven't been able to leave. So I'm, I'm in upstate New York right now. And yeah, I've basically been stuck here in my house the entire time. Um, and, um, I got thinking a lot about, um, what sort of projects I could be taking on. I started doing some more recordings. I started doing some more um, writing and remixing. I do I do a lot of things. I mean, I also write books and things like that. Mm -hmm. So um, I've been I've been working on um, oh on 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 a a music theory exploration of this one particular type of cadence that happens in rock music. Um, 
that sort of thing that shows okay. up uh, in like 80s rock basically um, and so I've, I've, I've just been trying to like use my time but also I found that it's really hard to concentrate on things right like um, I have ADHD I have depression uh, uh, depression and so like as it stands, um, for me to get work done, uh, I have to, you know, get into a, a, a useful headspace, and there's mm-hmm. only so much of that to be had right now. So some of the stuff that I've been doing has just been, um, oh, I don't know, um, doing doing kind of kind of easy stuff, you know, remixes and doing, uh, you know, scanning of artwork and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, any new hobbies? I know a lot of people are picking up picking up things like making sourdough stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I cook a lot. Um, I write a lot. I have been making some zines. I have been hanging out with my cats. Um, not a whole lot of new hobbies as such, but in some cases, trying to revisit some old ones. I've been writing some fiction, things like that. Cool. What's yeah. your uh, What's your favorite dish to make? Oh wow! Um, anything Mexican. I love, oh. love Mexican and Latin food. Yep. Cool. Yep. Awesome. Um, well, we should talk probably a, a bit more about what, uh, what you're here to talk about. And that sure. is the, uh, the upcoming album, uh, yeah. the bird watchers guide to atrocity. Oh my atrocity. Sorry about yep. that. Um, I, uh, I've listened to it a couple of times now. Uh, I love it. I love it. It's, Thank it's you. definitely, um, in terms of genre industrial or post, I, I don't, what, what, if you had to pigeonhole yourself, what would you put? What genre would you put yourself in? Industrial. You know, I've been making music for a long time, and the phrase that I use when I talk about uh, the seeming project is post-gothic. Um, not that that necessarily is even a genre, right? Nobody calls themselves that. But what mm-hmm. I like to think about is the way that people talked about post-rock a few years ago being a music built on, in some cases, the building blocks from rock music, but doing something new with it. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to do something a little bit new with the building blocks of uh, the gothic, both in terms of the actual sonic, you know, timbral, harmonic, histories that you're going to hear if you go back and you listen to records by you know the cure depeche mode einstein and neubauten also the industrial side of things also the synth pop side of things right this is the stuff that i just grew up with Mm -hmm. but then also um i'm trying to think of it as like a temporal thing right because we talk about the gothic like as a literary or a poetic tradition as a collective um uh, sweeping under the rug of history, the fact that you can't escape your past, right? You know, this is this this is why it's always dealing with like zombies and vampires and things that have been around for a long time and that we thought we had buried, but no, they're coming back. Um, I'm really interested in kind of moving past any sense of shame or um, human. Uh, morality and basically not sweeping anything under the rug saying yes all right let's let's let everything hang out let's um, let's be super upfront and real and physical and tangible and even if that means being like domestic in 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 my songwriting or something like that like I really want to bring some of the sensibilities of like old folk music and for that matter some of the sensibilities of hip-hop to to a lot of gothic ideas so that we can move past you know, the old trappings, because, you know, it's as much as I love the old, you know, Depeche Mode records and things like that, um, it tends to stagnate. It tends to be kind of a limited genre um, in terms of its um, its willingness to try new things. And I'm really, really interested in seeing what can be done and in taking risks and in making experiments. And some of those are going to fail and some of them are going to succeed, but you don't find out till you do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I definitely from hearing you say that now and listening to the album, I definitely felt like each song, it takes you through a journey, for one, 
but each song sounds like it's by someone else almost like like uh, in the sense of just each one has its own message its own its own story its own feel you mm. know you you were talking about like wanting to experiment with like hip hop and uh, there's oh i made a note of which one it was but there's one with like a really cool just like just like almost like a trappy beat like yeah. the bass the kick drum anyway from that yeah. um which totally stood out to me and then you know you have uh remember to breathe which is like this beautiful calm calming song and uh yeah so i i i'm getting what you're what you're putting down for sure yeah uh how long have you been working on the album for oh on this one um golly i probably spent about a year and a half making it i ended up actually recording two albums um and or rather two albums worth of material and the um the 10 song collection is is the the main event but when we release it we're doing a two cd release and there's a little bonus record called monster as well um sometimes you don't know what the 10 best songs are until you've recorded 20 you know if that makes any right. sense yeah um so so i tend to be a little overproductive but um yeah i worked on it for maybe a year and a half maybe two years some songs came a little earlier some songs came at the last minute um and it wasn't until pretty late in the game that i had a sense of what the record would really sound like like what the spirit of the album was going to be um this really personal sort of intensive struggle between you know um feeling crazy on the inside and feeling like you're living on in a crazy world on the outside and how do you reconcile these two things right where where is your obligation to make the world a better place end and where does your obligation to take care of yourself begin um and you know that's that's a constantly moving line as anybody knows so uh so yeah that's that's what a lot of the um a lot of the impetus behind the record is and a lot of it ended up being short songs, you know, three minute songs, four minutes tops, you know, and it's um, it's a nice turnaround because the last record that I'd done back in 2017 was this hour long thing and it was giant and grandiose and it was, mm-hmm. you know, called a self banishment ritual and it had, you know, a million moving parts to it and a bunch of guest artists and things like that. And I really didn't want to try to outdo that one. I really just wanted to turn around and think about okay you know what 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 would the ramones do you know what would what what would you do if you were given 25 minutes to make a record and you just <clears> wanted to get in say something and get out um and even if that means that you don't have a a thesis statement behind the whole thing even if it amounts to kind of a cosmic shrug that's fine and actually that's kind of where the record winds up you know the last song on it celebration song is this very sort of ambiguous um sort of you know tossing of uh, flowers in the air and saying, hooray, good, we're all going to die. <laughs> you know, but right, um, yeah. but, but it, it's hard to tell how ironic it is, and I still don't know to this day, you know? Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, you, uh, how, how is your, your writing process? How does that generally work? Do you work uh, with your lyrics first, or do you come up with the sounds first? Or? Um, I do it in every way that it can be done, um, and I give myself challenges to um, to prompt interesting results. Uh, I want to make interesting songs. I would rather write, you know, a risky song that doesn't quite work than a boring one that's safe, basically. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I will know exactly what I want to say, right? I'll sit down and I'll have an idea. Like the first single off this album is called Go Small, and that was the phrase that I had in my mind when I sat down to write the song. So I knew, all right, this is what it's going to be. This is I don't know exactly how it's going to sound or what the words are going to be, but I know that this is that this is the point that I'm heading toward. And then sometimes you write in a very improvisatory way, and you'll either wind up with something that you like, or you'll wind up writing 20 pages 
all to get four lines or something like that. So there's a right. song on the album called Permanent, um, which I think is track seven. And that was a song where um, it's, it's a little bit looser, but at some point I realized that there were like four lines toward the end that I didn't like and I wanted to rewrite and replace them. And so um, I filled five pages of a notebook. You know, I spent three hours filling five pages of a notebook, sort of experimentally going in any direction that I can, all to replace four lines of a song. So I have lots of different processes. I mean, sometimes I'll write it at the piano. I'm at a piano right now. And sometimes I will, um, you know, just come up with words first and then try to set them to music. Sometimes I'll make a beat, um, like the song End Studies, which is this, you know, almost like vocoder, sort of hip-hop driven thing. Um, You know, there was obviously no piano used in that. That was all just make a beat, rap into it, you know, and make it go. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there's all sorts of ways to write a song. Actually, the first thing I did in the year 2020, before all the COVID nonsense came along, before we knew that the world was going to be totally shut down, on January 2nd, and you can go find this on my solo band camp, on January 2nd, I woke up at midnight um, and said, okay, I'm going to, in 24 hours, I'm going to give myself 24 hours to write, record, produce, and release a full-length album. Um, and I did that. So it ended up being released at like 10 p.m. that night. And it's 10 tracks. It's called Midnight to Midnight. And, it, and, and like I video streamed the whole thing for like my Patreon people and stuff like that. It was, you know, it was, it was like one of these just sort of gimmicks, basically. You know, it was, it was, it was fun. Uh, but when you force yourself to keep going, to keep writing, to make something happen, you know, to say yes to yourself when you get an idea and not to be afraid of getting weird along the way. Um, Sometimes you wind up with some really, really interesting things. And I had had Mm -hmm. uh, many years before this dealing with musical improvisation, dealing with stream of consciousness poetry, developing those instincts that allow me to do a record like that. I'm not saying that a 24 album, uh, 24 hour album is fantastic or anything like that, but I was able to do it. And Mm -hmm. that only comes from um, either having no idea what you're doing or having a very, very clear idea of what you're doing. But if you're anywhere in between, you're host. There's just no way to make it happen. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, what, is, what is your personal favorite song off the album? Ooh, boy. Uh, my personal favorite song off the album. I have a few. Okay. Let me, let, me, let me talk about three favorite songs off the album. I really like the opening track, The Fates. Uh, mm-hmm. This is um, this really kind of portentous scary song uh, that I had the idea for it musically. So you ask about my process. This is a song that starts off at one tempo and it starts getting faster and faster and faster and faster. And what's kind of odd, if you keep listening to it, it never stops getting faster. But every time it cycles through and doubles its tempo, it sort of assumes the half time. So what it means is that it feels like it's always getting faster, even though um, it never actually goes above a certain tempo. It's it's, right. it's it's a sort of auditory illusion. I don't think that's ever been done in pop music. I don't know. But um, but that was the idea that I had. And I said, okay, you could you could theoretically do this with rhythm, right? Um, so how would you how would you write a song around this? And so once I sort of laid out a sort of rhythmic grid for that, I started saying, okay, well, you could have, you know, some chords happening and then okay you get to a b section here and this is where the vocals would need to um slow down so that as the beat speeds up they would then come in to match the second verse and blah 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 Mm -hmm. it was a really intensive process and coming up with a song that sounded natural above that which i think i did took um some trial and error but then in 
at one point, once I once I got the opening lyric, that opening "The Fates Are Coming" idea, I'm like, oh, okay, this is easy, and it's really nice to be confronted with what feels like a problem to solve, and then to have its solution just kind of present itself, mm-hmm. and then everything from there was smooth sailing. So it felt at once like um, inspiration and perspiration, if that makes any sense. Okay, cool. So I like that song a lot. Um, I like uh, I like the second song, uh, track two, the first single, which is Go Small. Uh, that's mm-hmm. one that um, a lot of my own sort of personal reckoning of um, you know, individual experience. Like I'm talking, you know, the, the, the opening lines are like talking about one of my cats dying. Right. But then by the end, I'm talking about the death of, you know, president Trump and things like that, you know, it sort mm-hmm. of spirals into, into really strange territory. And I wanted to make that song work. And one of the, one of the last things that we did on that song was realizing that it was basically a punk song at heart. And so, um, we originally started off with a tempo of like 87, I think BPM or something like that. And we said, well, what happens if we just double it? What happens if instead of going bum, 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 we go da da ba da da ba da 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 And as soon as we did that, then the whole song just opened up and we're like, oh, mm-hmm. this is it. This is it, obviously. So that was great. Um, and then there's a song toward the end called Reality is Afraid. And this one is the closest to like a rock song. It's like it's like the closest to like an anthem on the album. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really like this one. Um, it, it started off as practically a joke because like I could almost not believe that I would write a chorus so... Um, Oh, I don't know. I don't want to say optimistic, but so, but so guilelessly, you know, um, forward motion. So sort of, you know, right. viva la revolution or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then the more I lived with that, with that chorus, the more I sort of thought about that little line that I had written kind of, kind of as a joke, as just like a note to myself. I'm like, no, there's actually something to this. I really, really dig this. And, um, and if I could get behind the song and really feel like I believed in it and learn and learn to sell it to myself and to sell it through the performance, then I think it would work. And I think that that happened with the song. So I'm really, really glad with the way that that came out. Cool. Yeah. Um, where, uh, Wait, how did you find that shack in the oh. forest for Go Small? <laughs> yeah, so so uh, the video for Go Small is in the middle of the forest uh, at a little shack. I was out hiking with my partner, and um, we were hiking in upstate New York near where we live. And yeah, from from the trail, we saw this little building that looked like it was made out of stone. And then there was a... Um, a whole sort of concrete dip area by it. What I ended up doing, I ended up reading about the history of this and I found like a Cornell alumni magazine article from years and years and years ago about it. Apparently this had been a privately owned swimming pool and the shack had been a pool house on somebody's private property like a hundred years ago. Um, and it hasn't been used since then. It's like fallen into disrepair since the twenties or the thirties. And apparently they used to give like swimming lessons there, but I think somebody died like a hundred years ago there. And so they've, you know, it's, it's just been like sitting there in the middle of the woods and yeah, it's gotten covered in graffiti like you'd expect it to. Yeah. But it was just one of these things that it felt perfect, um, for the song go small. And also because I was filming the video in lockdown, you know, as much as I would love to get, you know, troops of dancers together and as much as I'd love to do high concept, crazy videos with lots of people, I knew that whatever video I shot would have to be just me and the camera person. So it would have to right. be really, really stripped down. So that was the idea that presented itself. I'm actually shooting another video this weekend and we're going to see how that goes. But um, okay. yeah, uh, so so yeah, it was found by happenstance, but it's a thing that sort of sticks with me. I keep 
I keep a notebook that I call my everything notebook, where I just write down anything that comes to mind, any ideas, any interesting rhymes, any anything that I see, anything that I mean to read later, something like that, because I got tired of forgetting things, you know, about right. 10, 10 years ago. And so I started keeping this and now it's hundreds and hundreds of pages. And uh, and yeah, once once I saw that shack, I'm like, ooh, that's that's definitely something. Write that down. And then uh-huh. um, uh, and then when I was you know brainstorming for the video, I'm like, yeah, we'll we'll just go back and do that. So it's really nice having a a file to to go back and and turn to. And sometimes if I'm ever you know, let's say stuck for songwriting, having writer's block or something like that, I'll just flip through and say, surely I've got the start of something in here that I can riff. Right, because something inspired you enough to write that down, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yep. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, oh, I mean, like one, one of the whole deals with the entire project is just that I'm really wanting people to be open all the time to more possibilities and more influences, even if those possibilities are strange ones, even if they don't seem easily compatible with... Um, you know, Western capitalism or the current technology we live with or the assumption that we humans are the protagonists or the narrators or something like that. I mean, like when people say, oh, be open to new ideas, I, I really, really want people to to walk the walk on that one. So yeah. I try to do that um, both in the content and the creation of the music. Right. Uh, cool. Let me see. I don't know what else I had to ask you about that. I kind of jumped around in my questions here. Oh, that's all right. So uh, the album was co-produced with Sarah Hennies. Am I yes. pronouncing that right? Yep. Uh, how long have you known Sarah? Uh, Sarah lives locally. She's a wonderful composer. Uh, she is a percussionist and uh, just a good thinker about acoustics and experience and embodiment and she's just a really interesting person very Mm -hmm. smart and whenever she and i had seen each other for a few years at like a gig or a party or something like that um and and her spouse is also a co-worker of mine but whenever i would see her around we would just always have these these really good conversations and i always admired her work and her work is um, several notches more out there than mine in terms of avant-garde practice Yeah. yeah and um Ultimately, I am making pop records, but I didn't want to be, you know, I mean, like I, I really wanted somebody to help kind of tug me away from um, the most boring pop impulses that I might have. And so I talked with her and um, we ended up working on, let me think, she plays drums on oh, probably somewhere between five and seven of the songs that show up on these two records. And she gave me some good ideas when it came to mixing and performance and overall sort of soundscape of the album. Uh, We did some recording in her garage. Uh, Yeah, she was just a great person to work with. She and I are like the exact same age. As for that matter is Aaron Falecki, my my other bandmate that I sometimes uh, work with, and he's also a percussionist. And so it was wild getting together because some of the sessions early on had all three of us playing percussion in a garage and recording that. I mean, like if you listen to the drums on a song like The Flood Comes For You, Mm -hmm. we're banging chains against timpani, we're throwing grain onto a floor, you know, we're beating uh, cardboard boxes with baseball bats and things like that. And to get these sounds, we were just really thinking, you know, all right, what 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 can make an interesting sound here? What happens if we take a resined cello bow and bow it against a piece of scrap metal or something like that? And uh, and Sarah Hennings was really um, wonderful in her influence in getting us to think that way. Right. I'm trying to let me just quickly. Which song did you say that was? Uh, the percussion on the flood comes for you. 
If you yes. listen to it, the okay, very that's first. Literally, the what I was going to say. It sounds like a chain dragging or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and it the is. whole song's just built up of sound effects, essentially, almost. Uh, a lot of it is. I mean, like the, the we we ended up bringing in a real uh, <laughs> a real trombonist, you know, to play all the horn parts on that and things like that. Um, but yeah, we recorded all the percussion on these things ourselves. We're not using, you know, um, kits and samples and things like that. It's all, mm-hmm. it's all done kind of old school, you know, on the last track celebration song, I originally had this like, um, cheesy electric organ beat behind it that I kind of liked. And it sounded like a sort of Phil Spector, you know, beat. And yeah. Sarah was like, no, 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 let's record these parts for real. Let's get out the shakers. Let's go out, you know, the, let's get out this big giant, you know, marching band bass drum from the turn of the century and use that and <laughs> things like that. And, um, and it was great. It was really the kind of recording that I have always wanted to do. Having grown up watching, bands like Test Department and Neubauten and Tools You Can Trust using, um, you know, actual sticks to bed, uh, to like beat on metal drums, like the old, like mid eighties industrial vintage kind of a thing. Right. Right. Yeah. So do you think, uh, this might be the beginning of a partnership and, in, in, uh, moving forward? I mean, she had done a, a, she had played vibraphone on one song on the previous album. Um, okay. and, uh, and she is super busy these days. I mean, like it, it, it would not surprise me if she ends up, you know, winning like a Pulitzer in composition one of these days because she's because she's getting commissions left and right, um, very deservedly. So so uh, if 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 we can make our schedules fit together, I would love to work with her again. Although mm-hmm. I would think that it would probably be something different. I think I would love to do some sort of large scale improvisatory project every year here in Ithaca. At least during the years that we don't have COVID. So we have a wonderful local organization called Ithaca Underground, mm-hmm. and it's basically a to put it in really, really easy terms, it's basically like a punk nonprofit. Uh, and okay. it puts on shows and it puts together, um, um, activities and like, uh, cultural benefits and like local, local, you know, drives and things like that for, um, for all ages, uh, for kids who, you know, might not fit into the regular cultural box. And, um, and every year in the spring, usually in April, they do what they call Naked Noise, which is uh, billed as the largest noise show on the East Coast. Basically, we rent out a giant auditorium and uh, anywhere between, I don't know, 20 and 75 people will, will come in as musicians and they will do giant collective noise improvisations that are like 45 minutes long. And as they do that, the audience can walk around the space and hear how it might sound different in this corner where someone is singing versus in this corner where someone's playing an amplified bassoon huh. versus in this corner where someone is, you know, beating on bowling pins or something like that. Um, but all together, it just creates this fantastic cacophony. And, um, and I've participated in that and she's participated in that. And a bunch of, a bunch of people have, have done that. And I, I love that show. That is one of my favorite things to do. And I would love to... I don't know, do some, do some work kind of like that. Some really, really open form stuff. I've been yeah. thinking a lot lately about jazz music and like turn of the sun, uh, sorry, a uh, uh, mid century jazz music, early sixties bebop, uh, and the, uh, the path from that into free jazz, the kind of Ornette Coleman stuff and thinking about how I want to invest a little bit more in the future in live performance and improvisation and, uh, that kind of risk taking, because at this point I feel like I, I can write a song very well. I can sit down and compose a song with words and, you know, a, a map, uh, of where we're going. But I think sometimes it's pretty exciting not to know where you're going. Um, mm-hmm. and maybe it doesn't always make for the great 
for the greatest records, but you know that's what that's what we have, uh, you know, editing for. So yeah, right, right. Cool. Um, and just uh, last question I had about the new album was the album art. I always love uh, just staring at album art when I'm listening to something, and uh, this one really pulled me in. So, what? Uh, who made it? Yeah. Um, so the title of this album came to me before anything um, uh, visual came to me. And this was when I realized that I had started to weave this thread through the record of references to birds, because when I was recording the vocals for Go Small, I was recording these in a courtyard outdoors in the Pyrenees Mountains in the south of France. And there were birds just tweeting and twittering all around me nonstop. And they ended up making it onto the recording. Um, and I really liked that, you know, I, I, who was just talking about improvisation, I like to be open to happenstance. I like to be open to chance a little bit. And so I'm like, okay, there, there are birds on this song. Fine. And then if you, and then uh, when I was building up, um, the flood comes for you, there's this kind of, um, this kind of like vuvuzela kind of noise. And that's mm-hmm. a sample of a particular bird, um, as well that I got from the local ornithology lab. Um, <laughs> so as soon as I realized that there were birds kind of hovering around the edge of this record conceptually, I got thinking, okay, I can work with this because my first record of seeming was called Madness and Extinction. And it was this whole kind of concept album about extinction, right? I'm, I'm, I'm into animal rights. I'm, you know, I don't eat meat, things like that. And, um, and, uh, you know, on the last album, I'd had a few songs that are kind of uh, animal themed. There's this one song called Feral, which is about being born um, and like being raised by wolves as a child and then being dragged into human society and what it feels like when you're 10 years old and they try to make you go to school for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's another song on it called Zookeeper, which is the sort of opposite where basically it's a zookeeper freeing an animal for the first time and the animal being like, I'm not sure if I should leave. So right. this is a whole, this is like a whole frame that just for whatever reason really, really interests me. I'm really interested in kind of getting past assumptions of humanness. So once I had the bird thing in mind, I was like, okay, great. Let's, let's start thinking about cover art here. And um, golly, there are some themes that just keep showing up again and again. And the animals are one thing, but also mythology shows up a lot in my music. I mean, like I, I had an old band called Thou Shalt Not once upon a time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of our, one of our, um, I'm not going to say hits because we never really had hits as such, but one of our more more popular songs, um, uh, the chorus, you know, talked about "I am your Pygmalion," and it's and it's a whole song about uh, sculpting someone and then turning them alive, and you know, sort of Greek mythology stuff. When I was in sixth grade, I, you know, participated in like mythology competitions and things like that. So I'm like I'm like okay. a total geek, right? But. Um, yeah, uh, so so long story short, as I was thinking about what kind of imagery would make sense on the cover of the album, I'm like, okay, Icarus. Let's go with Icarus, mm-hmm. um, the human, you know, who dies, trying to escape from something by being a bird, doesn't work out for him. And if you want to riff on that a little bit further, he dies because his wings me- uh, melt in the sun. The last album that I had done uh, was called Soul, S-O-L, A Self-Banishment Ritual. And it's this whole thing where, like, the sun is, like, the central theme of that entire album. And so it's this really, like, solar record. And I got thinking, how do you follow up a solar record? Well, you know, th- the sun melts you and you fall and you die, right? And this is a mm-hmm. whole thing where in the last song I talk about, you know, where I, I, I hurdled the spear, it was a million to one, but from the mountaintop I, 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 I took down the sun or something like that. So uh, it seemed to tie a lot of ideas together. And so then from there I just went and I found um, some classical uh, drawings of Icarus and I found one that I particularly liked and, that, that's, and that's the basis of a cover art there. Cool. Yeah. Oh, sweet. All right. And then, so that's, uh, that's all my questions. For some okay. reason... 
I uh, I normally when it's one on one we have unlimited time, but I saw that my dad tried to jump in on this meeting. That's okay. So That's fine. Now we're now we have five minutes left. <laughs> okay. It's totally um, fine. So let me just see. I had some other stuff because I was very interested just in the fact that you're uh, that you teach uh, that you compose uh, for film and video games. So I was going to talk about that a bit, but let's uh, do something that we can get quickly done. Uh, where do you find new music? Oh, you know what? Um, I will tell you right now, I love crate digging. I love looking through, whether it's physical music or looking through weird old recommendation threads on defunct websites. What I most enjoy is the feeling of discovery on my own terms, and I love Mm -hmm feeling like no one is trying to sell me something, right? I really, I really hate it when people try to sell me something. And in the overabundance of media and information that we have now, we're always competing for people's attention, right? Because there's a million things you could be listening to. There's a million things you could be watching. There's a million things you could be reading and doing. So it's no longer, I need to find something that I like, but it's, I need to clear the thousand things that I might like out of the way to find the one thing that's closest enough to my mood right now. Yes. So um, for that matter, I don't really use Spotify a lot. I sometimes do, but I I don't like algorithms. Um, I mean, I'm fascinated by algorithms. I think that they're super cool, but I really like feeling like, I am finding something that nobody uh, wants me to find, you know. Right, or that and something so, finds you, even. Yeah, yeah, and so and so, um, I've got this 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 contrarian streak where you know, um, it's not that I'm trying to be like cool in like an old school hipster way. It's just that I really like the feeling of listening to things that um, that nobody else is listening to at that mm-hmm. moment. I feel like I feel like it's like worshiping a forgotten god. I feel like it's giving some love where there is none. I feel like it's good old redistribution of affectionate wealth, you know? So right. so like if I if I um, like the last record that I was grooving on recently was uh, The Kitchens of Distinction, 1992, The Death of Cool, which is this incredible dream pop album. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous record. The band broke up, you know. Um, I think they're all still alive, but they aren't really active right now. They were one of the first, um, like, queer-fronted um, rock bands to be out and public about that. And... Um, and their music is just so subtle and understated and smart and harmonious and husky. And when I listen to a record like that in the year 2020, it doesn't sound like right now. And, and, and I don't worship the past by any means. I'm not nostalgic. I'm anti-nostalgic. But I do like feeling like I've found a little gem, like I found a little mm-hmm. something that no one is trying to sell to me. And that, you know, um, it's like a secret. It feels like a little contract, a little shared moment between me and this record. So I find records in all kinds of ways. Um, I have a large physical media collection. I am a collector. I used to DJ. Um, I, I like Bandcamp. I think that Bandcamp is one of the only mm-hmm. websites on the entire internet that I can completely advocate for and that I can completely get behind and say, yes, what they're doing is good. End mm-hmm. of sentence. I feel like everybody else, you know, by one measure or another, there's, there's always some, some caveat. There's always some, mm, but there's also this to worry about. But Bandcamp, yeah. I um, wholeheartedly support, and I think that what they do is great. I think it's a great place to go off and find music. Um, and I also like looking at, like I said, just old weird playlists. Like I, I, I have got a, z- uh, a collection of zines, a bunch of 
uh, probably five or six hundred old zines from the 80s and 90s and early 2000s and things like mm-hmm. that. And when I find, you know, some some teenager from 1988 who in pen that they Xeroxed wrote out, here's the 10 songs that I'm listening to right now, you know, that are whatever oh, yeah, they had yeah, on, whatever they had cool. on, on mixtapes. You know, and half these things have never been reissued. You know, half of them are not on Spotify. Half of them have, you know, I've never even heard of them or something like that. I think that's great. I, I, I love going back and finding that stuff and really spending time with um, with just, just the most out-of-the-way things because it feels non-intrusive. It feels peaceful. It feels genuine. It feels quiet. It doesn't feel commercialized. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Sweet. I think we made it just in the nick of time. Great. We might get cut off, actually. Alex, okay. thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, let me know when and how this is going to air. Yeah, I will. Okay. I will. I'll tag you and everything, and uh, I'll let uh, let the people at Looters know, too. Okay. Thanks so much. Awesome. Right. Thank you so Bye-bye. much, man. Yep. Bye.